Hey everyone, what's up? It's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 235. Okay, first of all, it will not upset me in the least if the only person who listens to this week's episode is my mother, because it is all about me, 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 me. So, if you don't give two hoots about who I am, then by all means, go ahead and skip right past this episode, and we'll pick up again next week with our training interviews to get you back on track. But I do get quite a few comments, especially on our YouTube channel, asking who I am. And on YouTube, it's mostly from mental midgets who have a much more colorful way of asking that question than I just put it. So that's why when my ops director, Buck, requested a personal Q&A session to get me to open my kimono to our audience... I thought it was a great opportunity for anyone interested to get to know the real me. So for this week's episode, if you care, go ahead and pull up a chair and let me tell you a little bit more about me, my background, and the things that are most important to me. You may not agree with all that I have to say, but it is the real Jeff Anderson, tidy whities and all. And it's all coming right up now. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. If you're listening to this, you're among an increasingly knowledgeable and market-savvy group of listeners who are interested in survival, combat, and self-defense content. But you have a problem, a problem you're probably only too aware of. That problem is that there are too many voices clamoring for your attention, too many Internet marketers trying to sell you things you don't really need, and too many personalities who we'd have to classify as fantasy survivalists who are clogging up the web and eating up bandwidth to compete for your time and attention. Because of this, we've always tried to be a little different here. What I mean is that we do something a lot of people out there and in this industry might be reluctant to do. We tell you the truth. Right now, you're wondering how you can cut to the chase and get the best survival and self-defense information available. That's what you're going to learn right now. And by the time we're done, you're going to get to know the man behind the emails and the podcasts just a little bit better. Hello, everyone. This is Buck Green, Operations Director for Modern Combat and Survival. This is normally the part where Jeff Anderson, Editor for Modern Combat and Survival and Executive Director of the New World Patriot Alliance, would tell you that he is bringing you another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. That's still very much the case, but today we're turning the... tables so that I can get some answers to some questions that our readers have asked us. That's right. I'm interviewing our very own Jeff Anderson. Hello, Jeff. How's it going, Buck? This always cracks me up. It is hard. It is weird to be on the other end, especially for this kind of this kind of an interview. But um, it was timely when you brought this up. I'll I'll probably explain why here in just a bit. But anyway, let's let's hit it, man. Okay. Now, I I want you to know something before we start. Jeff has been reluctant to let me interview him in the past because he genuinely doesn't like to be the focus of what we do here. Uh, In fact, this interview was my idea, and I pushed to make it happen. Um, Jeff, if you don't already know, is a lifelong student of what he calls survival arts. It was Jeff's military training that led him to seek out strategies that would protect not only himself on the battlefield, but also provide for his family's own self-reliance in any sort of disaster, crisis, or collapse. After 10 years of military training in elite infantry units around the world, Jeff began working as a security consultant and executive protection specialist for private clients and the entertainment industry, specializing in military-style hand-to-hand and 
weapons combat, Jeff offered classes and seminars based on practicality and battlefield effectiveness. In Jeff's survival training, it was his service overseas and in combat missions uh, that he was able to get, it was in his service overseas and in combat missions that he was able to get a first-hand glimpse of what a city gripped in collapse and without rule of law is like for its citizens. He uses his unique experience to inject a more realistic view of what to expect in survival scenarios and to provide practical solutions, even in extreme environments, for true survivalists. Ultimately, his training and experience led him to create the digital media channel for Modern Combat and Survival magazine, which is fueled by more than 100 of the world's top instructors in law enforcement, military, and civilian survival schools. You can, of course, learn more about Jeff and what he does at our website, uh, moderncombatandsurvival.com. But you could also just keep listening right now. Um, let's jump right in here, Jeff, because I've wanted to do this for a while. Um, first of all, who are you? Every once in a while, we get one of those comments on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. People who are new to MCS will, will be like, who, who the hell is this guy? Well, who the hell are you? Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about who you are as a human being. Yeah, you gave the, uh, you gave the PG version of that. Usually if it's, if it's on YouTube, it's like, who is this ass clown or who is this idiot or who is this whatever? Um, I get, I get people like complaining about my BDUs that I wear in some of the video. Like it's, so that, that was when you brought this up finally, I was like, you know what? I just got another one of those. Who is this clown kind of a guy? Um, or, you know, that kind of a comment on YouTube, which is always the worst place to even, like, I try not even look at those things, but I do respond to a lot of them. And, you know, I, I always find it weird that people, um, they'll, they'll look, they'll look, they won't look at like the, the information that's out there, but they look at just, it's weird how they pull stuff out. Anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. I won't, I guess uh, that's kind of like too broad of a question. I always wonder like, I, well, it all started back in 1967. Um, but I don't, like, I, well, I, I just, I'm really like, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a soldier, um, even though I'm, I'm out of the military now. It's like the things that I truly like, I, um, like how I project myself or like who I think of myself as. Is, is really those things. Like I define myself by, um, my ability to take care of my family, um, my wife, my son, my, my other sons, their, my, you know, like my stepchildren. And, um, and, and also taking care of my brothers and sisters in arms because my time in the military, my, and my time in, in combat really formed who I, who I became. In fact, even more so than, um, you know, I, uh, I, I fortunately live close to where close to now in, in Texas where my first uh, sergeant w uh, lives close to me now um, but when I was in 10th Mountain Division which was my first unit we were the first we were the first uh, group of soldiers to come into the reenacted or the reactivated 10th Mountain Division at Fort Drum when it first opened up back in 1986 1986 and uh, and my first sergeant sergeant Kendall Ray Brown, um, you know, he just, I was able to really sit down with him a couple of years ago and let him know for the first time ever that, you know, even more than my father, Sergeant Brown f turned me into the man that I am today. Um, he turned me from a, a sniveling, you know, piece of shit, like high school, just about a high school dropout um, into a person who has excelled in every other area of my life because I could see what 
what I was capable of. And so um, more than even my, my own family, that one person has has done more to mold me as a person than anybody else in my in my entire life. So, that, I mean, if you ask me who I am, how I define myself really is by my ability to be the best father I can be, the best husband I can be, and the best soldier and patriot I can be to to you know to ever you know just who we are as a country. That, that, those are the things that are important to me. So, when were you in the you were in the army, right? I was in the army, yeah, for ten years. Uh, when was that? 1986 to 1996. So I know you have told me before that you saw combat during those years. Where exactly was that? Is that like Grenada? Is that the right time period? Uh, no, it was right. It was right after Grenada. So um, I was. It's funny. I, I was up in. Uh, so I was in 10th Mountain Division, Fort Drum, New York. There were times where we were the coldest spot on essentially the planet, and. I remember I was uh, coming up for reenlistment. I had my special forces packet in. Actually, I was my my dream was to um, was to go into special forces, and I had my packet in. I had gone through all of the like, swim tests, the um, the language test, like all the tests that you have to go through, and all of, I was just waiting for my orders. I was waiting, waiting, waiting. And I was right at the end of my enlistment period, um, and I was in the infantry. I was a, a forward observer in the light infantry, and they lost my packet, and so it forced me into a position where I had to re-enlist. And I remember back then, I don't know what it's what it's like now for re-enlistment, but they put you in the system basically three times. And then they, they give you back, like, okay, well, here are your options of where you can re-enlist. And you can do that, you could do that three times, and if you denied those, those options – all, each of those three times, you went in a fourth time and you just got what you got. They stuck you wherever they wanted to stick you. So I remember I was out in the middle of um, the snow. We were out in a, we were doing the missions out in the field, and it was just I was freezing my ass off. And I remember that it was my third time of of getting uh, my my options in. And the Humvee came out, the reenlistment NCO came out with this paper, and he's like, you've got two options, and you've got to choose one of these, or else the Army's going to stick you wherever they want to. And it was Alaska or Panama. Now, I could point to Alaska on a map. Panama, I had no freaking clue where it was, but I knew that there were palm trees there. And in Alaska, I always just pictured polar bears and igloos. So it was not a hard choice. I went to Panama, and that was in 1989. Um, I was really excited to go down there. In fact, my old, uh, my, one of my platoon sergeants became the first sergeant down there and, uh, got there just before me. So I was excited to go down. He was, he was hardcore. It was Sergeant Elder. Man, it was hardcore. He was like a, he was top, top, top soldier. And I was really looking forward to it. I got down there, spent one weekend on the beach with a uh, little umbrella in my drink, just enjoying living in, uh, living in south of the border. And the next weekend, there were just bullets flying everywhere. It was just, um, it was, we were just thrown into it. So well, it was a unique experience. Forgive my historical ignorance. What conflict is that? Oh, so it was Operation Just Cause. So essentially, Noriega was the dictator of the country, uh, drug lord of the country, running the country. But it was a very corrupt it was a very corrupt system, obviously, to support to support him. But even like the police units down there were very corrupt. And ultimately, what pushed things over the edge was one of our officers and his wife got pulled over, and um, and the police 
did some very bad things to he and his wife. And that was the final straw. I think our, our country had just kind of been like, well, we're kind of like, see, what do we, where do we go with this Noriega thing? The Democratic leader had been deposed. Noriega t- had taken over. And so that was the final straw. And so that was when, you know, um, Operation Just Cause happened. A bunch of units came in, 82nd Airborne, a bunch of people came in. It was a very, it was a relatively fast, fast skirmish. Um, it was only, I don't remember how long we were out there. So, Probably about a month or so of being out in the city and um, wasn't fighting all during that time, but uh, it was right around. I remember it was right around Christmas time because there was a lot of stuff that that happened right that was like around Christmas, and um, and then we spent everybody all the other units went back and then we spent the next year essentially going out into the jungles looking for all the bad guys that got away. So it was kind of like a search and search and capture type missions. Was that the action that ended with him in the embassy and they were playing like Van Halen at him to get him to come out? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Like I think he dressed as a nun to get into the, uh, into the church to get, to try and get, um, you know, basically, yeah, he was just trying to get guarded from the, from the church. And we were, they were playing, uh, Van Halen. Um, the worst one were sounds of rabbits dying, which was just a, a horrible sound, but um, you know anything that just taunt him to 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 come out. So I'm not sure why dying rabbits would get somebody to come out, but uh, I would just plug my ears, I suppose. But nonetheless, yeah, it was kind of an interesting ordeal. Wow. So what about your time in the military? Kind of uniquely informs what we do here at Modern Combat and Survival. Given that we're we're not a military site, what we do is geared towards civilians and ordinary people. So so how does how does your time in the military affect what we do? Yeah, you know it, that's really where it, it really has formed what we've done as a company and what and the information that I put out because I'm the first to tell everybody like I'm not the wilderness survival guy. Um, I studied a lot of that like when I was a kid, but it's not my area of expertise. Could I get by out there? Yeah, I absolutely know that I I have enough skills and talking with enough people that I could, but I'm not like the uh, that's not that's not my area of specialty. So um, my biggest thing and my biggest frustration in looking at all the survival information that's out there is just how little people really understand about the human impact and and um, and just how how people that you would normally see as average, normal, every, you know, fun loving, tax paying, everyday people, how quickly that just um, just disintegrates into a very animalistic type mentality when it comes to survival, because ultimately we are animals. Ultimately, we are, um, you know, we our, our our primary purpose is to survive, and people will go to lengths they never would even imagine they would go to in order to you know survive. They just don't know it because we've we're built on this. You know, we we rely on a system that basically takes care of all of those survival needs. You know, we can easily go down to the grocery store and and get food. But when you take away that structure, and that's what I learned, I mean, I think that's what's different about what I went through in, in Just Cause and a lot of, like, the fighting that we see over in, in Iraq and Afghanistan is, um, is like, we were all, we were, we were urban. It was straight up urban right in, like, an actual city as if you were in downtown you know, like Dallas or something, you know, it was very, very similar to that. And so the buildings we were going into weren't, um, weren't people's 
huts or anything like that. It was we were going into you were going into banks, you were going into police stations, and sh- there was a lot of like that kind of stuff. So when that happened, the you know Panama City shut down. There was no infrastructure there to include even um, you know electricity in a lot of places, and um, and even like especially sanitation. So when that happened and the grocery stores got looted, um, you know, it was a big joke, like the day after the, uh, the main, the main invasion, we call it invasion, but you know, the main invasion hit, you know, all the kids had, uh, every, every, all the kids had white tennis shoes, like they were brand spanking white because all the looting that happened as well. And, you know, I've told people before, like when you see how, how families like that realize that there's not going to be any food, um, that they're not going to have an infrastructure and they don't know what next week is going to look like, uh, it changes, it changes the dynamics in a lot of ways. I mean, in some good ways and some, some really challenging ways. And so that's how it's really formed what we do. Like my area of specialty is survival in, especially in urban environments, but also just with the people element of those initial days and initial weeks of a true collapse. And there are true threats that we face as a country that could literally change life as we know it practically overnight. And when that happens, you know, you're going to see a lot of these things. And I believe that they are out there. They could happen. I know that some of them eventually will happen. And when, and that's what we prepare for. And so that's been my area of specialty. And I think that's why we've developed a really strong following with military contractors around the world. I know we have a, we have a large international uh, military contractors actually from, especially from Australia, even from China and the U.S. But, um, we have military contractors that follow our podcast and, and our writings because that's the area that a lot of them live in. Like they are doing missions for, um, you know, for other governments, for our own government and other countries. And they're oftentimes in those urban environments and sometimes where there are riots, um, where there's a breakdown, even in the local infrastructure, they're dealing with protests, riots, civil unrest. And I think that's why um, I think that's the area that we've carved out the most, because that's where my experience is in being able to protect yourself in those types of scenarios, as well as prepare for them and get out of Dodge when you need to. Um, so I think that's where it's really kind of. You know, that's where we've we've carved out. Well, obviously, a lot more goes into your philosophy about survival and self-defense than just your military experience. So I'm curious where you get what you get when it comes to, like, mindset and attitude. What what sets you apart from all the other people in the industry that I mentioned during the introduction? You know, I think uh, I think it's really like the people that I that I talk to, like I'm just a perpetual student and I just take people along for the ride. Like some stuff I, I, I'm a guru at, like some, some stuff I just know. And it's the kind of things that a lot of people, like I, I like to challenge people's traditional beliefs, especially when it comes to things like, you know, civil unrest and, and, and protecting your family and bugging out. Um, because I think so much of the stuff out there is from people that have never experienced any of this stuff and they just they just don't know. It's all fantasy stuff. It's stuff that they've seen in the movies and on television and, and things like that. But but I just like I'm always trying to learn more things. In fact, if people if, if people will know if they listen to some of our older recordings, uh, if they listen to some of the earlier podcasts, they'll catch in my voice where um like I'll I'll 
like learn something from one of the instructors that were the trainers that we talked to that I think even some of our readers would like would have already known. You know, I'll give you an example. I was never much of a of a handgun guy because that wasn't the weapon that I was used to. I was used to my M16. So I've always been like a carbine guy. And that's where I'm I'm most that's what I know the most. It's where I've been most proficient. So when I started learning about handguns, you know, for example, if somebody listens to one of I think it was my first pod one of my first podcasts with EJ Owens and he was talking about um, I don't even know if I had my concealed carry license at that time, but uh, he was saying to, you know, carry with around in the chamber. And I was like, if you listen, to it, it's like, really? Like, isn't like, it was kind of like, isn't that dangerous? Which is the, you know, the very uninformed response, because I didn't I didn't realize the value of carrying around in the chamber. And, you know, he gave me the reason why. And then since then, I've it's like it opened up my eyes to looking at other scenarios that people have been in where, of course, you, you absolutely must have a round in the chamber. And now it's part of what, what I teach out there. But I learned that from EJ. I learned about um, combat shotguns from Louis Auerbuck. Um, in fact, Buck, I think you were the one that interviewed um, Louis for that one where he talked about shotguns. And I, I did, and it was I look back on that, and it was so cool to have had the opportunity to interview him since he's passed away since then. Um, but I will say... I have never met a deadlier but quieter man. <laughs> he just—he <laughs> was so quiet. It was yeah. like, like. So, what about this accessory? I wouldn't do that. Yeah, it was just very, <laughs> very low key. But you know that I remember from that interview when he talked about what do you, you know, what do you load in a shotgun? Well, if you ask the the shotgun loving universe out there in a forum, of course they're going to say like double op bot. You know, double yeah. buck shot, and 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 he was like, no, slugs, and it was like, what? That's that's not what everybody says to do. But his reasoning made sense. It just it just did, and so, you know, it's and it's just things like that. Like I learned from. That's why we have over 120 instructors in our network. I learned from them in these podcasts, and I. I just allow everybody else that's listening and reading our stuff to just come along for the ride because I'm really I'm I'm quite selfish. I'm out there looking for information that that I want, um, but that can also be used by by other people out there and actually the people that call in. Um, you know our New World Patriot Alliance, uh, our membership that we have. Um, we do, I do open office calls on typically on Fridays, and that's where people can call in and just talk with me one on one to get to get my own advice. Like I'll, I'll basically coach them, but a lot of times they'll call in and all they want to do is just let me know about things that they know, like tips that they have. Um, this guy, George, who's been listening to, uh, he's been, a, he's a new member of our new world Patriot and boy, he calls up with like the, the top 10 list and he's given me some really like, I know I didn't, didn't hear about that. He just told yeah. me about a company called Lehigh defense that makes ammunition that's expanding ammunition, but it's not hollow point. It's all by how they've developed the, um, the tip of the bullet. And I found it fascinating. I ordered a whole bunch of, you know, I ordered a case of ammunition because it's fascinating. I want to go out and I want to field test it now. So I learned from the people out there that are listening to this podcast right now. Um, I'm always looking for more information and the other instructors that, um, that I talk to as well. I don't think most of the people that listen to this realize that they can just call you up. What does a person have to do to be able to do that? That's our New World Patriot Alliance. So that's our membership uh, platform. And, you know, we do extra stuff for people that are NWPA members. We're going to be developing a lot 
a lot more of that over this year. Um, but yeah, that's where that's like the inner circle of folks that um, it is a mem- it is a membership. It's a paid membership that people are a part of. And so I make myself like ultra available to them. And, you know, we do one on one coaching. We do group stuff and and things like that. But, um, yeah, that's that's more my inner circle. Is there is there a URL for that in case somebody listens to this and wants to join? Or? Um, there is right now. Usually, well, you know, we'll offer it if people buy like a product, they'll get an option for it. Uh, New World Patriot dot org is the website for it right now. This year, we're actually going to be closing the enrollment on it. We're only because it's I can't I do like a couple hours worth of one on one coaching and I try and like sh- just jam everybody in, but um, we get people that have that. They keep calling and calling and calling, trying to get in, and they can't get in. So we're going to have to, we're going to actually be, we're going to actually end up raising, we're going to have to raise the price to be able to lower the number of people, and then we're going to have to close it down and then only open it up like maybe once or twice a year or so. But right now it is still open enrollment. That's not a pitch. That's not a like a get over there now while you still can sort of a thing. I mean, that's just, that's just no, the way Jeff, it is. Jeff did not know I was going to ask him that question. I want that on the record. Uh, yeah. Here's- <laughs> There's something else I wonder about, Jeff. I, I know you don't really talk about politics much, and I don't either in the context of modern combat and survival, but since I post a lot of the stuff to our Facebook page, it's probably pretty obvious to most of our listeners that I lean to the right. Um, during the time that Obama was president, gun sales and survival sales were off the charts. He was like the greatest gun salesman ever. Yeah. But those sales have dropped since President Trump took office. People just aren't as worried about the future in terms of gun and survival as they were during the previous administration. Um, what, why does what we do here at Modern Combat and Survival still matter to our listeners and readers, given that? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I think we've all found that to be kind of a strange... Well, I wouldn't say we've all found it to be a strange phenomenon. I know that some people within the survival business have had, I mean, seen a, a, a very big drop in in sales when, you know, it, it was almost like timed immediately, like with, with Trump taking office. Um, you know, I know, I know, uh, gun manufacturers, gun deal. I mean, like I know a lot of people in the gun industry and, you know, I can almost promise you that they all vote democratic because they know that, um, that's what keeps up the gun sales. I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm, I was, I think I've told this story before, but on election day in 2016, uh, I was, I was at Cabela's looking at, I was at the gun counter and they had the entire back storeroom just packed with AR-15s and every single one of their employees were on mandatory show up in the morning because they just knew Hillary Clinton was going to be the president and, and, you know, they were just going to sell out of all the AR-15s. So that's why now, (laughs) oh yeah, it would have, oh yeah, absolutely would have happened. Yeah. We saw that with the, um, the Obama elections, but you know, it's, um, now there's a lot of, you know, now's the time to buy an AR-15, that's for sure. And so, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's strange. I don't know if I'm, am I answering what your original question? Well, I, I guess my question is, why does what we're why offering... Why do we matter, right? Why does it. it still matter? Because people are kind of a lot more relaxed about the state of the world right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, you know, that's why I think, you know, we've never, I don't like to buy into like the whole fear porn thing. And if you look around, I mean, that's the one thing that really pisses me off about our industry is that as soon as The Walking Dead hit television and all of a sudden survival became cool, 
all of a sudden we had a bunch of slick marketers kind of come into the marketplace and figure they can just throw out some, you know, stupid training manual that they have somebody else write and, and they know how to, how to market it, you know, and it's, it's marketed with fear porn and, um, you know, ads that make it seem like, you know, I mean, especially during the Obama years, you know, they were just had coffins all stacked up ready to just round up every Republican and, and prepper in the country and, and put them all under the ground. There's just all kinds of stuff like that to help just poke and prod people that really do care about these things. They really do want to be prepared. But the way to get people to buy is to get them scared shitless and, and get them to click on a button and go over and buy. So, you know, what we've all, what I've always focused in on is that there are very real, very practical threats that we face. Um, like I said before, that, that could truly change the way that we, that we, um, that we live, the way that, you know, it, it, it'll change what you see outside the door. And so, um, people, I think when they see the practicality and that there are reasons why those are threats, then, then, um, then the smart ones, I think, continue to prepare. Um, I think, in combination with, um, you know, climate change is, it amazes me some people deny that there even is climate change, but I think people get hung up on whether, oh, is it, is it man-made or should we keep pumping out? Should everybody own a Humvee and be, just be throwing smog up in the air or, cause, you know, screw it. You know, that, that stuff always kind of amazes me because we've gone through, um, and it, you know the number of of uh, natural disasters people are finally waking up to that that the climate has changed it's not just a matter of oh things are getting warmer oh sure it is i just froze my ass off in chicago at 22 below you know you've got to really open your eyes and this cognitive dissonance of people that there there's facts out there there's there's factual stuff and for them to ignore that and not prepare because they think oh a republicans in office now our guns well, are safe I think the point, especially when it comes to things like climate change, it's not that weather isn't happening or that even trends in weather aren't happening. It's that people on both sides of the aisle politicize that concept in order to push for their specific agenda. Like the way to combat this is to paralyze the economy and destroy industry. Right. Or the way to combat this is to not deal with it at all because we don't want to – like there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. But all both those sides of the argument – Ignore the little guy, you and me, the people just trying to survive. And the yeah. fact is that you know you and I have to be prepared for sub-zero temperatures or uh, the terrible flooding that you experienced in Texas or right. you know, anything like that. Yeah, and, and you're you're so right too. I mean, and, and just to kind of kind of go back to the political thing, like we were talking about, is I think that's the other area. Like, I don't need to to stoke fear of Democrats in order to get you know our Republican. Uh, consumers of our information to buy our stuff like we don't um we stay very apolitical um i've you know when obama was in office i never put out in fact people would send me they would want me to send ads where you know obama's coming to take your guns and they would have pictures of horns on them and stuff i don't do that same way with trump and and look you know i've talked I'm, I'm not a trump guy i've said that a few times on my on my podcast um but i won't do anti-trump stuff either however well, and i, I will I am a Trump guy. If you're listening, it goes both ways. So you, no matter who you are, you can find someone to like on the staff. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's like if if that's what defines whether or not my information is valuable to you, protecting your family, is that I'm, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter. Then okay, don't don't go away angry. Just go away. But 
likewise, like I don't care if people are Trump supporters or aren't Trump supporters. It doesn't matter because to me, it's a human right for us to be able to protect ourselves and our families. And that's what I focus in on. It's not like I'm only trying to reach Republicans or, or whatever. I'm trying to reach anybody that is smart enough and responsible enough to want to protect their family. So, I mean, I know Democrats who are, you know, who have concealed carry and believe in the Second Amendment. And it's we've just become so polarized that we think that it's all or nothing on each side of the aisle or the camp. And and we vilified. I mean, look, media does this all the time. The news does this all the time. We vilify the other side. Well, I want to bust through all of that. All I care about is if you want, if you love your family like I love my family, and you want, and you're smart enough to realize that you're the one responsible for protecting your family, whether that is, you know, a, um, a robbery in the parking lot, um, or whether it's a home invasion, or whether it is an economic collapse, and now the, you know, the the wolves of our society are, are circling, circling your home. Like I'm, I'm here to help people to, to do just that because I'm an American and I mean, we do international stuff too. I know people follow us all around the world, but um, I truly wish that we could go back to a day where we really just identify with ourselves as Americans collectively rather than, you know, in separate camps and, and defining what, what American really means there. You know, regardless of the political conversations that we have within our industry and within our business, because you and I have argued many a time about these things uh, and also come to consensus on a lot of things, uh, there are people outside the industry looking in who have that criticism that this is all fear. It's not just that some people use fear porn, that everything about this is fear because at the end of the day, you're telling people to be afraid of a thing so they buy a product so they cannot be afraid of the thing. How would you address that criticism? Yeah, no, I think that's legitimate. I mean, I think, um, look, I mean, we're any, whether it's, um, you know, you're dealing with a home invasion or whatever it is. I mean, the, the bottom line is bad things happen to good people. And, and you can either choose to be prepared for it or not. I, I choose not to be ruled by it. Like, I don't, I go through this with my wife all the time because my wife hates guns. She, um, and, and I'll be, she, she is a, a, she's a full-blown liberal. And so we get in debates and, and arguments like all the time. We know what to avoid these days, but, you know, we've, we've been married almost, actually this uh, coming Saturday is going to be my wedding anniversary. So, um, oh, well. How yeah, years? yeah. It's, uh, I can't believe we've made it. <laughs> we've made it, but um, you know, it's it's it, it's it's just it's just that we can. What's the, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I kind of lost track because I was trying to remember. That's right. I have to buy my wife a gift. What was the question again? Uh, well, wh- how many years is your uh, of anniversary is this for you? Oh, this is going to be 19 years. Ah, oh, congratulations, man! More yeah. parts. No, my original question was how would you address the criticism that our industry is inherently fear-based? Yeah, right. Thank you. So my wife, it's always it's always been hard because my wife doesn't want to think like that. Like she and her whole thing. Whenever I would say, "Look, you're out there jogging," like you've got your earbuds in and you're jogging with traffic. Like any van can pull up and just suck you in there. At least get on the other side of the road so you can see on. Like anything like that, her response was always, I'm not going to live my life in fear. I don't want to be paranoid. And for me, it's not about being paranoid. It's a, it's just about, in fact, that's what allows me to not be paranoid. And, and, you know, I've seen some bad things in my life, in, especially being in the military as well as like in security work and stuff like that. And so I get to see that the bad things that happen to people, police officers know this, you know, full, full well, but they're also the ones that, 
the first ones that tell you that like they're they're not going to be there likely at the time that a crime happens. They're not going to be sleeping on your on the sofa in your couch when there's a nighttime home invasion. It's up to us. They're basically only c- going to come in there and help clean things up and take a report. So it's really up to all of us to be able to protect ourselves. Now, maybe it was my time in the military where, you know, if it really truly felt good to me to protect people. Um, that was the most rewarding thing for me was seeing, uh, like in combat, the people that were were um, basically freed from, uh, you know, some a dictatorship type rule. Like seeing the gratitude, like that really hit my heart, and um, and it really just kind of. Um, it solidified this this desire for justice and and helping out the people that can't help themselves, and so I think you know that's that's what did it for me. But I mean, look, bad things happen to good people. Um, so unfortunately, in order to help people prepare for those things, we have to let them know what the bad things are. And you know, so if we take for example when we talk about like our bug out bag and bugging out and civil unrest and those types of things, well, how would people know about that? How would they know that um, that the towns like cities are on a three day resupply structure, like basically all around our country? So within three days, if there's no food coming in, there's there's no, that can be anything in the grocery store. Within three days, it's going to be cleaned out. Within three days, that's why I always say there, you know, it only takes three days to go from calm to chaos. Well, how would they know that? I need to let them know that, look, I've been in cities where there is no groceries coming in, where there is no sanitation. The, the things that you wouldn't, you, you won't experience because you're protected from those, let me tell you, this is what truly happens. I don't want people out there to learn that when it's actually happening. So unfortunately, we have to tell people about the bad things in order to help them to prepare for you know, making sure that they're not one of the victims when those things happen. I know one of those bad things, and I mentioned it a little while ago, there was horrible flooding in Texas, uh, what was it, a couple of years ago? Yeah. And, and you ended up, if I remember correctly, we published a, a photo of you volunteering during the flooding um, in the MTS magazine. Yeah, yeah, my son and I, I mean, we took part in the the cleanup, and I had friends that lost their home, and um, we had people living with us for a year and a half while they they still got their um, their home, you know, rebuilt, and we, we, we had a lot of friends that were um, that were devastated, like their their lives were devastated from that flood. What did you um, take away from that? What was what was your ex- like the lesson of survival from experiencing that firsthand? Um, well, I live in a rural area, so you know we were we weren't in like I'm on the outskirts of Austin, so um, you know the the biggest thing I learned from it is the same thing I, I talk about in our um, I do a um, a survival workshop where I give people like the best lessons learned from from my real world experience, and it was really just the again it's that cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance, and I really do think like that is a true threat that people need to understand. Um, and cognitive dissonance is just in 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 face of the fa- like smoking is one that we use. Like we know smoking kills you, but people will still smoke, right? So it's kind of like a, an ignorance of the facts um, because you want to do what you want to do. And so when we knew that flood was coming, there was a wall of water. It was a very unique thing. It started like way up that we have a river that runs through our town and about um, 40 or 50 miles up the river, um, the, the, the waters really started coming. Like it was 
the waters were really like starting to come down. And so we had this, the rivers were, were going up, but we have this, um, this, uh, what do they call it? Like, um, like a, a, ca- a, a chasm or whatever in the river where it's like a narrows. It's, in fact, I think it's called the narrows. And the water hit that and it was almost like it, it backed it all up with debris and everything else. And, and, and there was a, a bridge that was built wrong also. And it did the same thing. Like it built up all of this debris and all of this water until the bridge collapsed and all of that, this wave of water came through. Then it hits the narrows. And again, it all builds up, builds up, builds up in this narrow spot. And this wave of water comes crashing through. So we literally, it was almost like a, like a tidal wave coming through our town that just took people out. But the thing is that we knew that was coming. And we were like, there were the, um, the city manager and other people were knocking on doors saying, there's a flood coming. You're going to be underwater. You've got to get out. I go over a story that was, um, in, in the workshop where I talk about this couple that was there with her, with her two kids. And, the um the, five, the they were visiting in our town and the father um, like knocked knocked on his door the sheriff knocked on his door and said you got to get out there's their water is coming they look out there and like well it doesn't look like the water is really rising all that much i think we'll probably be okay and so they didn't do anything and then the sheriff came back and knocked on the door again and said you guys have to get out of here this water is coming and they look out there and they see the water is kind of coming up but it's like ah should we i don't really know should we should we should we Finally, as the water started getting up to where the house was, and it was on stilts, basically, the father goes out to go and start up the car, um, turns around to come back um, to get his wife and two young children, and that's when the house lifted up off the stilts and the family went got washed down the river. Um, we have recordings, actually, I think, of the 911 call that was, was going on, and the screams of that mother... Um, oh in that house woke up friends of mine that lived on the river, like woke them up. And this all happened like in the middle of the night. And those screams woke up people that never would have realized that their house was about ready to get dragged into the river. Also. I, I don't suppose there's any chance that they survived that. No, no. The father survived. They, they found, oh. I think the mother and the son, I think there's still one of the children that was never found, but I mean, th- that was a matter of 30 seconds like 30 seconds would have made the difference between this guy that lost his, his young children, I think they were five and seven at the time, and his wife, that just gone, all because of should we or shouldn't we go? I don't know. It looks fine. I don't know. I think we'll be okay. They should have it, been long gone. It reminds me of that, that fire in California where they did the news story on the guy who lost several of his friends because he was trying to get them out and they took too long, and they ended yeah. up, you know, he survived by taking shelter in a creek, and they all burned to death. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, look. Every, I tell everybody, look. If it's if it's if you ask that question, should I stay or should I go? There's only one answer. Yeah. You go. If you if you're asking the question, it's you're asking the question for a reason, and that's why I think um you know that so that's what it really taught me was just that. Um, people will stay back because of photo albums, Aunt Doris's vase that's been handed down from generation to generation. Like, they'll stay for reasons because they just assume nothing bad will happen. Yeah. I, I like to think that the work that we do here has helped a lot of people. Uh, but 
coupled to the volunteer work that you did during the flood and the ongoing work that we do here at MCS Magazine, uh, we recently started our own 501c3, which is Operation Save Our Soldiers. What's happening with that and what will be happening with that? Yeah, so I'm really excited about this. A lot of people that are listening to this that have been following us for a while knows that um, last year I was really, I mean, we started Operation Save Our Soldiers a couple of years ago with the with the goal of curing combat-related PTSD. Um, I've been open with everybody that I've personally suffered from, from combat PTSD. Um, I've I attribute it to my first failed marriage, um, a failed engagement, and it certainly has whittled away at my current marriage, although, yay, we're anniversary is coming up. But, um, you know, it's just, it's devastating. You know, we're losing 20, 22 soldiers a day to suicide. Um, I have friends who have lost close friends. Um, there may be soldiers that, I, that you know, I don't, I don't, that I've worked with over the years, I'm sure that, that maybe have been, Affected um, friends of mine have been affected as well, and um, you know I've, I had found a, a, a therapy, a type of therapy um, that we put all of our our work, uh, efforts behind last year, and um, they still do really good work. But there was just we had a falling out. There was it just became a really dramatic hot mess. It was a very weird situation, but nonetheless, um, I ended up leaving. I was on the board for for that charity. Um, I still wish them the best of luck. They're helping out a lot of veterans. Um, however, I've found the identical type therapy with a much bigger network. Um, and I just decided, you know, instead of us just putting like a name onto my mission for, for curing combat related PTSD, for us to just create our own nonprofit and take all of the money that comes in and sponsor soldiers to come out and get the therapy. In fact, we're going to, we're holding holistic retreats that they get the um, the therapy, which is rapid resolution therapy, and literally within as little as just one therapy session, completely erasing all of the uh, the triggers and all of the horrors that people have been going through related to their PTSD. Nightmares gone, um, addiction to uh, whether it's self-medicating drugs or the VA's drugs that, that they put out there. Um, all of the coping mechanisms aren't needed anymore because it just basically, I won't go into all the details of what it is, but it's, it's the closest thing I've ever seen to a true cure for combat-related PTSD. And so we're going to be holding retreats. Um, we fly soldiers in. We take care of their, all of their accommodations, their meals, everything. They don't pay a single penny to come out and get the treatment that, that they need. Um, but they can go back, and we are... I know in the past using this type of a therapy, um, we've given back, you know, wives have gotten their husbands back. Husbands have gotten their wives back. Kids have gotten their dad and their, or their mom back, whoever was, was suffering from it. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's really amazing. So, um, I'm really excited about it this year. We finally got our, uh, we're getting our, um, our 501c3 designation so that we can take direct donations that are tax deductible for people and, um, and we can just start getting, you know, Soldier by soldier, vet by vet, we can just get them the help that they truly need and get them out of this ridiculous system that just keeps them in this endless cycle of, of horror. Yeah, that, that is something else. Uh, okay, we know what's going on with that. What can we expect from modern combat and survival overall in 2019? I mean, I realize January has uh, – I saw a funny meme that uh, January was a long year 
but we made it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what's, what's on the horizon for, for Modern Combat and Survival, and what are we going to be offering to the people uh, who are listening right now as we move forward into 2019? Yeah. Um We've we've got this year planned out. I can tell everybody that uh, like I'm doing a lot of filming right now, so we're switching over to a, a lot more video. Um, so we're going to be taking a lot of our courses that we currently have out there that are in print and putting them into more like uh, we're going to be updating them and also doing more video courses related to that. Um, so so look for a lot more video training out there. We are going to be doing more of our live training events, so we do have our uh, we do have our next combat machete camp that's coming up. Uh, a lot of people might not even know about that, but we're I think we're going to be adding the knife throwing to that this time also because we're coming out. We've uh, we've got actually our test groups are out there now um, field testing our throwing knife, so we've got a few more blades that are coming out. Um, those people that are listening might know about our machete. It's our, our own design. It's a um, a very unique. Uh, type of a machete, and um, so we've we have more coming out. We have another machete that's coming out as well. We have a throwing knife that's coming out. We are going to be doing a lot more in the firearms market this year, um, also. So we have a few more products coming out for the firearms market. And really, like I look at all this stuff again, just the same way I look at like um, the information we put out is stuff that I want to learn. And so I go out there and find answers and interview experts and. We get them on the podcast, and that's where I learn from. The same thing goes for any of the products that we create. They're basically born out of, I can't find this anywhere else, and so I'm going to design it myself. That's how our backpack was made. I could not find a, a survival backpack that was what I fit the needs that I know um, that I needed, and so we designed our own. Same thing with the machete. I've I always liked my army machete, but it was missing some of the elements that I needed for what I needed a machete for. So we designed our own machete that can literally hack through a you know a steel truck hood and and then a dozen beer cans. So I needed it to do certain things. There was nothing else out there that did it, so I made it. So we were kind of doing the same thing, like in the firearms industry and the survival industry, and just looking at what's the need out there, what do I need stuff for, and then. I'm going to make it, and if people want it, they can have some of it. Nice. All right, um, I'm, I'm going to move us to the lightning round, Jeff. I've got a few personal interest questions that I think the listeners might enjoy. Uh, do you even have time for hobbies? If so, what's your, what's your favorite hobby? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's really my family. Like I love my, my son's going to be graduating high school, so I'm spending as much time with him as possible. But um, my, my hobby is really... Um, man, this is it. Like I, this is pretty much all I do is, is this and then testing stuff. So like testing new products. Like I love creating new gadgets and gizmos. I love throwing my knives. I love, I mean, I pretty much walk around my office with my machete, uh, my training machete and swinging it around. Like I love training with that. I love coming up with, with new concepts. Um, I like, I like testing, um, tactical, like, like those tried and true things that people see as tried and true traditional type training things. And I love challenging them myself and seeing whether or not they work. Um, so it's really, that's, that's kind of what I, I, this is the lifestyle. I mean, I'm a perpetual soldier. I'm a perpetual learner. And so I'm always just constantly trying to um, just fine tune and tweak what we do, what we put out there and, um, 
and then like the the products and stuff that um, that I like. Uh, okay, what gun do you carry and why? Um, so that changes as well along the way. So um, I carry a, a Glock 19 as my primary uh, my primary um, concealed carry. And I've always carried a, uh, a Glock 26. This was something I got from E.J. Owens also because the Glock uh, magazines were, are interchangeable. So I would carry a Glock 26 as my backup gun in an ankle holster, and I would carry an extra magazine, which would be a Glock 17 mag because that will hold a few more rounds than even my, my Glock 19 will. And I can go ahead and use that in either the Glock 26 or the, uh, the Glock uh, 19. Um, I would also carry a pocket, um, pocket gun, my Ruger, um, uh, 380, I would carry as a pocket gun. And so, um, however, I have since changed what I'm carrying for my ankle holster and switching over to, um, a 357, um, in fact, it's, it just came in. So, uh, 357 revolver. So it's the Ruger. It doesn't have a hammer on it. So those people are out there. It's a, so 357 is a much better round. So I use that basically as my get off me gun for a contact shot. Uh, so that's a, that's a new, what's that? You've been talking to Peyton Quinn again. Um, actually, I don't think it was Peyton that was, was, um, brought me to this conclusion. Um, I think it was really just kind of my work with, I forgot who I was talking with about pocket guns and about backup guns. And I recently did a lot of research on it because um, I was going to do a podcast on it. We were going to do a, a, a training uh, series on it. And that was where I, you know what? <sighs> There's something to be said about this. I mean, um, uh, DeBethencourt, uh, Michael DeBethencourt is, he has us, I don't know if it's snubby.com or whatever, but he's always been trying to get me to switch over to, um, to that. And I was just never, like, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. But now when I really start looking at, um, close quarters combat shooting, which we have a course on, um, the contact shot is very, very important. Um, it's very powerful, but there are some limitations when it comes to a semi-auto in that area. And so that's when I really looked at, when you look at functionality, what do I want out of a an ankle pistol? Well, I if I have to get to that, it's because I'm tied up with somebody and I want them off of me. And so if I if they're on top of me, like for for instance, if I'm on the ground and they somehow get on top of me and they're beating away at me and and they're sitting on top of my appendix carry Glock 19, I'm not getting to that. So I but I can get to my ankle and get that um, that out. In fact, I've even I think I told people in that podcast like. My jeans, every time I get a new pair of jeans, I will take the, um, have the outside seam, um, replaced with Velcro so that I can rip it apart and get to my, my ankle carry holster and, uh, and get to that gun, um, quickly. So, um, anyway, that's what I carry. To that end, what knife do you carry and how do you carry it? Oh, I carry <laughs> quite a few knives actually. Um, so I have a bench made that I carry in my, uh, my, my strong side pocket. I Is that have, still that old advanced folding combat knife? Yes, I, I've had that one for years. I, it was given it, mostly because that one was given to me as a gift. Um, I will oftentimes carry. Uh, I'll have a belt that has a, a knife in the buckle. Um, I've I've told people about that several times. Also, they've probably seen me demonstrate it, but it's it, it, just because that's so easy to get to. It's a fixed blade. I like that, and I can um, I can just go ahead and 
you know, whip that out and, and get it out there. I, I do carry a credit card knife. If everybody remembers, those were kind of all the rage about four or five years ago or so. Yeah. Um, they, they aren't anymore, but they're foldable. Um, I like that just to be able to have something a little bit different, um, you know, just kind of socked away. I do have, um, it's a, um, it's like a, I think it's called a pocket shiv. Um, we have some of these, but they're not, they're not very sharp, but the, I was able to sharpen it, but it basically it will attach to Molly gear. It's super tiny, and so it's really handy to be. It's super concealable. It can be, um, you know, it's very it's very easily concealed, and it'll attach even to like the loop on like a belt or whatever. And so yeah, that's like that, that one. It's like very squat. It's got yes. kind of a trapezoidal blade. Yep. Almost, yep yeah, I one. think I've got one of those kicking around too. Yeah. Uh, Craziest thing you've ever had to eat in a survival or military situation? Uh, cricket, or not crickets, uh, grasshoppers. <laughs> um, and I was, we were the part of the last jungle operations. In fact, I'm not sure if they have reopened the jungle operation training center, uh, JOTC in Panama, but I was uh, the last class that went through there before they shut it down. They may have reopened it. I don't know, but. Um, they do uh, like dead monkey carcasses and stuff in there. I wasn't I wasn't at that the tasting of the dead monkey carcass and and all oh. of that stuff. But um, that would have been an interesting experience. But no, grasshoppers are um, something I've I've lived on out in the field. I've I've had to use you know have those before. Yeah. Okay. Last lightning round question. Do you have a favorite television show? Uh, the, right now, I'm like super into The Punisher. Um, second season just came out, and uh, uh, I used to like The Walking Dead. I think they jumped the shark after they, um, yeah, somehow within a matter of of a year, a couple of years, um, there are junk people that live in a junkyard that speak a whole other language and wear goth clothes. And yeah, like, and I, so I, in a couple of years, you, you haven't had time to start your own post-apocalyptic. You don't society. get your own language yet. Yeah, it's <laughs> like come on. But um, so I stopped watching as soon as, they, as that started happening. But um, if you remember, Shane was one of the guys that was in the, in the initial yeah. episodes of that, and John I never Perry. really, I never liked the actor very much. But um, uh, I, I started watching The Punisher. It's on Netflix, and man, like he's just made for that role. And I just, yeah. I love that show. That's just uh, that's my favorite show right now. I can't get enough of it. Right. Well, I think that's going to about do it, Jeff. Cool. I think this was, I mean, it was good to just kind of, um, like, people to really understand, like, if they're asking the question, who the hell is Jeff Anderson and why should I listen to him, I thought this was a really good idea. And um, I just love going unscripted and just sharing with people the, the good, the bad, and the ugly to let them know, like, this is who I am, unapologetically, you know. Nice. Well, until next time, as Jeff would say, prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.